Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Juneteenth, folks. Coming up at Roland Martin Unfiltered for June 19th, 2019. The ambassador of Oregon to the U.S. Uh, will join me and we'll talk about the Juneteenth uh, celebration today. Plus, this being the year of return, marking 400 years since the first 20, 20 odd Africans arrived in Virginia in August of 1619. Also, today on Capitol Hill, there was a heal, he, hearing dealing with reparations. Uh, and of course, it was quite interesting. You had a lot of people who were talking, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Danny Glover, but then you had Republicans trotted out a couple of folks. Everybody asking, why the hell were they there? That made no sense whatsoever. Also on Capitol Hill, Reverend William Barber testified before the Budget Committee hearing representing the Poor People's Campaign. We'll have that for you. Also, we've got new black mayors in Kansas City and Dallas. And also, I've got some words for the South Carolina Democratic Party. They are only allowing MSNBC to broadcast or live stream from their state convention Friday and Saturday, locking out C-SPAN, Fox News, CNN. But I'm going to talk about how this also locks out black media companies like this one. Wait till we break it down. It's time to bring the funk. I'm rolling Mark on the filter. Let's go. It is the day where we recognize the end of slavery. Even though the Methodist Proclamation was signed 1863, it wasn't until 1865 on this date uh, when slaves in Texas found out they were free when the general came to the shores of Galveston, Texas to make the announcement. Texas became the first state in the country to actually create this day as a state holiday as a result of Al Edwards, who served in the legislature there. So we certainly appreciate all that he has done. As a result, Juneteenth is now celebrated all across the country. And it is the only day that recognizes, the only holiday whatsoever that recognizes slaves. Well, this year also marks the 400th anniversary of the first 20-odd Africans arriving on the shores of the United States in Virginia in August of 1619. Beginning with the first of the year, there have been lots of events called the Year of Return, and a number of African countries are also participating in the Year of Return, including one of the leading country has been Ghana. Joining us right now is His Excellency Dr. Barfur Ajay Burwa, who is the Ghana's ambassador to the United States. Uh, Dr. Burwa, how are you doing? Not too bad. Doing very well. So let's let's uh, let's talk about this because uh, when we talk about uh, um, this being Juneteenth, when we talk about again the year of return, um, it, it really has rejuvenated for many people uh, this need for a connection between African Americans and African nations. If all y'all Africa is a continent, 
not a country. Sure. Uh, and so how has this been received? Uh, tell us what is happening in Ghana when it comes to the year of return. Well, you know that um, Ghana actually you know, designated this as the year of return. And it is meant to mark, you know, as you mentioned, the arrival of the first you know, African slaves in this country. But we are also making it uh, a point of igniting a certain kind of connection between brothers and sisters. The brothers who, against their will, left you know, the shores of Africa and came to this country operated under very difficult circumstances, had to learn a language that they never knew, and in the process they mastered the language. They wrote you know, songs, they wrote sonnets, they wrote poems and all that in that language. And in fact, also raised the delivery in that language to a very high level. And in fact, at the moment, a lot of you know, uh, African-Americans are excellent exponents on the delivery of the language. Besides the fact that they didn't have much of a higher standard of structured education, they wrote books, they you know, uh, published a lot of literature, a lot of them became scientists and such, and made significant contributions to the development of this country to make it what she is today. And they are still contributing. So we, in, you know, in talking about a year of return, we are also saying that brothers and sisters ought to come home to see the homes that they left, to see what is it that is going on, to taste the hospitality that they haven't probably had for a very long time. And besides, since we consider them brothers and sisters, Ghana is their home. And home is where you go, and they have to take you in. And there are a number of African-Americans who've actually moved to Ghana. Yeah. Michelle McKinney Hammond, sure. her father lived her Father lived there, passed away, uh, and had a home there. And sure. she's since moved there. Uh, a few years ago, I connected with a sister uh, who uh, did business here in Washington, D.C., sure. and she opened a, a couple of uh, golf shops mm -hmm. uh, in Ghana and some other countries as sure. well. Mm -hmm. uh, Ghana was, has really spent a lot of time over the last couple of decades really emphasizing uh, travel uh, back. And so sure. I, I would dare say probably uh, more African-Americans likely come to Ghana each year yeah. than any other African nation because of that level of outreach. Exactly. And in fact, uh, quite a number of them, as we said, have moved there and settled. And a lot of uh, West Indians have also you know, moved to Ghana and settled. And it's basically because we, as I mentioned earlier, we consider you know, African-Americans as brothers and sisters. And the year of return, we are using it to, as it were, renew the necessity for forging together. Because whichever way we look at it, we are just two communities across the pond. And the genesis of our settlement, obviously, even though different, actually doesn't cancel the fact that we are all related. And I suspect that, you know, even you, Roland, you've been to Ghana a few times, but I'm sure that if you're in the streets of Ghana and you don't speak first, somebody might speak a local language to you because, <laughs> because, because of the way you look and all that. So we consider 
the two sides as one community which has undergone different experiences and we ought to be able to cross fertilize each other for the pure and simple reason that you know time and whatever that has happened hasn't been able to as it were wash away the fact that we are related. You talk about, uh, you're right, I, I first visited in 2008 mm -hmm. uh, and uh, had, had a very good time there. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny too because uh, when Black Panther came out, uh, everybody was talking about Wakanda, Wakanda, Wakanda. And then I, mm -hmm. I, would, so I would wear, I, had, I, I bought a number of outfits from there and actually had a number of made. People would say, oh my goodness, Wakanda. I'm like, no, 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 Ghana. I'm like, I actually been there. That's right. uh, and, 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 and again, even with Black Panther, again, mm -hmm. that coming out, again, this whole sense of pride. And I spoke there at a technology conference. And one of the things that, that I think is critically important um, is that we're seeing the Chinese. We're seeing other countries, of course, the French and others. Sure. We're seeing folks uh, still uh, uh, doing business, taking natural resources. Mm -hmm. Um, how critically is important, you know, what is the agenda of uh, the, the Ghanaian president to say we want to be doing business with African-Americans, African-Americans who are in construction, who are in engineering, sure. uh, who are in doing any number of things? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the slant basically, and as it were, the concentration is that we would want to do more business with, you know, African-Americans partly because of the common heritage, and then also partly because a lot of them are very stilled in the areas that they are. Mm -hmm. And we do believe that um, if we were getting closer, the, the benefits really, you know, as it were, spread on either side of the pond. And, and more so, uh, some of us might argue that the devil you know is better than the angel you never met. And therefore, at least the African-Americans, we do know that somewhere along the line, there is something in all of us that is common. And therefore, should there be any significant advantages, we ought to be able to share those advantages. And that is why we are making this effort to engage you know, uh, African-Americans because of the fact that I'm sure if you know, African countries are shining, there is a reflection on African-Americans. And indeed, since we consider you know, African-Americans as brothers and sisters, we can basically argue that you cannot sit somewhere else and watch your house burn on the other side. Because sometimes somebody might ask you, when are you going home? knowing very well that the home that they are referring to is the one that God bent. So we do have this commonality of interest that we would want to, you know, uh, protect, we would want to, you know, expand, we would want to explore, so that at least on both sides of the community, we all feel like, yes, we are moving on. You're talking about uh, the relationships. Um, you also, uh, I was on social media, uh, and you waive the, the visa requirements between Jamaica uh, and Ghana. Here we go to my iPad, please. And so mm -hmm. these are the photos that I uh, pull, uh, saw off of Twitter uh, where uh, that, that took place where the agreement was signed. So, mm -hmm. uh, so Jamaicans uh, and Ghanaians no longer have to now get visas yeah. uh, to travel back and forth between both countries. Sure. Yeah, that is to facilitate, you know, the 
the, the uh, as it were, interrelationships between the two communities. And if I, you know, in, in uh, islands like Jamaica and, um, you know, some of the other smaller islands, there are lots of names that obviously are either Ghanaian names or derivatives of Ghanaian names. So in a way, because we consider ourselves, uh, you know, a single community, and if I, you, you may know that um, uh, we have a, a, you know, legislation on the books which says that African-Americans have a right of abode in Ghana. So it's more or less translating what we know into, you know, practical terms. So, you, you know, you want to go from Jamaica to Ghana, all that you need to do is to hop onto a, a plane and then uh, land in Accra. Uh, I want to uh, talk about uh, uh, a couple of moments here. So Gerald Horn uh, has a book uh, called The Rise and Fall. Here you can go to my iPad. The Rise and Fall of the Associated Negro Press, Claude Barnett's Pan-African News and the Jim Crow Paradox. And what's interesting when I read this book, uh, he talked a lot about what Claude Barnett was doing in terms of bringing news and information back from uh, the motherland and, and, and also was a transfer of information. I remember years ago when Desmond Tutu, Bishop Desmond Tutu, received a trumpet award. He talked about uh, being a child in South Africa, but seeing the pages of Ebony Magazine and seeing how African Americans were living and how they gave them hope and inspiration fighting apartheid. Sure. Um, so let's talk about the, the information because I dare say, because of the lack of black news shows on cable networks, mm -hmm. um, you don't get an opportunity to talk to African-Americans. The cable net news networks aren't calling you. Sure. When, when African heads of state are traveling to Washington, D.C. for a variety of reasons, uh, very rarely are they uh, being received and talking to uh, uh, media outlets. Sure. Uh, late George Curry, often with NNPA, would travel. I remember the interviews that he did with uh, Mugabe in Zimbabwe and some other leaders as well. And so how, talk, how critical is the information as well in terms of having communication outlets to be able to talk to African-Americans about what's also happening uh, there in uh, Ghana and other African nations? Well, it, it, you know, it's important, you know, on both sides. You know, for instance, when I was at the university, Malcolm X came to give a lecture there. And in his presentation, he was talking about conditions in the ghetto. And he was holding a rag, and as he was talking, he molded the, you know, the rag into some kind of a rat and said that you could go to some uh, homes of uh, African-Americans and you can see rats of that size and all. But then I, I had a difficulty absorbing that because the material that I read and the magazines that I see obviously didn't say that. And in fact, I, for one, the first picture of um, Sammy Davis that I ever saw was Sammy Davis in a tuxedo standing beside a Rolls Royce. And for me, that was African-American until I came to graduate school here and I learned that there were a few things that were obviously not uh, as the magazines do say. So we needed the information to be able to recognize America as the Americans that we ought to be closer to knew. And in the same way, because we don't get much feed from African-American press, 
from the other stations that obviously don't concentrate on what is it that may be important or relevant to the uh, African-American community, it becomes very difficult for us to actually strike that relationship. So now we do need a certain kind of uh, increase in the flow of information so that in trying to build the community, in trying to build, bring us together, we will know exactly where it is that we need to you know, uh, step, where it is that we need to emphasize, what is it that we, we need to ask for to be able to have a fuller understanding of the relationships that we are building. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, you certainly uh, are more welcome to come back on this show anytime. Uh, and also, I look forward to uh, uh, meeting uh, your president and have an opportunity to sit down and chat with him as well. Uh, and uh, I would love nothing better to be able to do a Roller Martin Unfiltered uh, broadcast live from Ghana. Uh, and so hopefully we can make that happen. I'm quite sure that uh, we'll try and make that happen. And I'm very sure that our president will be very happy to have you in conversation one-to-one. -one. All right. Well, Ambassador Broa, we appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. And uh, certainly good luck. Pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about the year of return. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Thanks okay. a bunch. Thank you very much. All right, folks. Uh, Going to go to a break right now. We kind of come back. We'll talk reparations hearing that took place on Capitol Hill today. Uh, little fireworks, uh, but also should there have been more information on the economic side versus all the folks saying who's going to get a check. All that more. Next, Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. Hi, this is Essence Atkins, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Hey, yo, Peace World, what's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Hi, my name is Brisha Webb, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Ow. Well, I like a nice filter usually, but we can be unfiltered. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. If you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. As Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, also uh, neglected to mention there's going to be a candlelight vigil at uh, 8 p.m. this evening uh, at what? The uh, Grand uh, uh, African American History Museum. Uh, and so it's going to be 8 p.m. this evening. And so if you're in Washington, D.C., the D.C. DMV, so I hope you're able uh, to be there. All right, folks, let's now talk reparations. That was a uh, congressional hearing today 
on this very issue. It was led by, of course, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. She's the sponsor of H.R. 40. For a long time, Congressman John Conyers sponsored H.R. 40. Uh, and so this was the first hearing on this issue in more than a decade, according to Ron Daniels. I talked to him this morning on the Tom Jonah Morning Show. There were a number of people who were speakers, including Tom Nahisi Coates, Debbie Glover, but also uh, Julian, Dr. Julian Malvo, who's an often on our show. Here is Denny Glover speaking today before Congress. A national reparations policy is a moral, democratic, and economic imperative. I sit here as the great-grandson of a former slave, Mary Brown, who was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. I had the fortune of meeting her as a small child. Despite, despite much progress over the centuries, this hearing is yet another important step in the long and heroic struggle of African Americans to secure reparations for the damages inflicted by enslavement and post-emancipation and racial exclusionary policies. Many of the organizations who are present today at this hearing are amongst the historical contributors to the present national discourse, congressional deliberations, and Democratic Party presidential campaign policy discussions about reparations. We are also indebted to the work of Congressman John Conyers for shepherding this legislation. The adoption of H.R. 40 can be a signature legislative achievement, especially within the context of the United Nations International Decade of People of African descent. Tony Coates, of course, who taught, wrote about reparations in the Atlantic, was also one of those who spoke on today's panel. Yesterday, when asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply. America should not be held liable for something that happened 150 years ago, since none of us currently alive are responsible. This rebuttal proffers a strange theory of governance, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. For well into this century, the United States was still paying out pensions to the heirs of Civil War soldiers. We honor treaties that date back some 200 years, despite no one being alive who signed those treaties. Many of us would love to be taxed for the things we are solely and individually responsible for. We are American citizens and thus bound to a collective enterprise that extends beyond our individual and personal reach. It would seem ridiculous to dispute invocations of the founders or the greatest generation on the basis of a lack of membership in either group. We recognize our lineage as a generational trust, as inheritance. And the real dilemma posed by reparations is just that, a dilemma of inheritance. It is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery. As historian Ed Baptist has written, enslavement, quote, shaped every crucial aspect of the economy and politics of America, so that by 1836, more than 600 million, or almost half of the economic activity in the United States derived directly or indirectly from the cotton produced by the million-odd slaves. 
By the time the enslaved were emancipated, they comprised the largest single asset in America, $3 billion and $1860, more than all the other assets in the country combined. Now, Ta-Nehisi is obviously an author, Danny Glover is an activist, but where were the economic voices? And that did not sit really well with Dr. Julianne Malveaux, who is an economist, and she sort of shook the panel up. This is what she had to say. I am delighted to be here because this hearing is not on time. It's like overtime. It's more than time for us to deal with the injustices that African-American people not only have experienced in history, but continue to experience. I'm an economist. So economics is a study of who gets what, when, where, and why. It's a study of the way the factors of production are paid. The elements are land, labor, capital, and the secret sauce. Some people call it entrepreneurial ability. Some call it creativity. Land gets rent. Labor gets wages, capital gets interest, and the secret sauce gets profits. But the work of predatory capitalists is to figure out how to extract more from the factors of production toward capital and away from people. And we've seen that in the past three decades with our own economy, but more importantly, enslavement was about the devil's work of predatory capitalism. Indeed, enslaved people got no wages, and we represented capital for other people. And so after enslavement, First of all, enslavement was the foundation on which our country was built. So anybody who says, well, I didn't have any slaves, no, you didn't have to have any. What you had to do was experience them, enjoy the fact that they were here, enjoy the fact that their labor made it possible for there to be a Wall Street, a bond market, and all of that. But beyond that, the post-enslavement case for reparations can be made by examining racial, host racially hostile public policy and government complicity to white supremacy. All right, folks. Uh, now, what was real interesting about uh, the panel is that I mean, you had folks like her and Ta-Nehisi and others uh, who were there invited by uh, Democrats to speak. Then the Republicans, press play. That this is not exactly true. Uh, Mr. Mr. Glover mentioned all of the studies and books that have been written on the subject. I would argue, in fact, that in the 10,000-year history of, of slavery on every continent, there is not a single example of slavery that has been more studied than slavery in America from the 17th century to the 19th century. So uh, it is actually not true that we, we have not told the truth, that we don't know our history. Moreover, in the past 50 years, if we're talking about what, uh, what scholars in America, in, in the American social sciences, have directed their attention towards, it is hard to find a subject on which more books have been written that has been more studied than racial inequality. Thank you. Thank you for uh, that. Mr. Owens. Well, there's a difference between what somebody said was being studied and then what really was done. Okay, so then, of course, you had this, this dude, Burgess Owens. Okay, y'all, here are his credentials. Former NFL player, Fox News commentator. That's the best Republicans could come up with? Press play. The greatest legacy uh, for my dad, who um, served in war, World War II, came home, could not uh, do his postgraduate down in Texas because of Jim Crow laws. So uh, put out a lot of letters, ran across a box when he passed away of hundreds of rejection letters. He used that as motivation because he eventually got to Ohio State where he got his PhD. 
and went on to be a very, very successful entrepreneur, college professor, researcher, and someone was very proud of our race. He reached back to his very last days to the young people, giving them hope that this country, they can succeed and if they really wanted to. And if they pulled, their, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, worked harder than the next guy, that's not a racist deal by guys, that's the American way. We work harder than the next guy. Greatest legacy from him was my belief that I would do everything I could to make sure he was proud that I held his name. The greatest thing for my mom, my dad, I never ever even thought about disrespecting mom. Okay, I don't know what in the hell any of that got to do with what in the hell they were talking about. I just don't, whatever. All right, let's introduce my panel, folks. A. Scott Bolden, former chair, National Bar Association, Political Action Committee, Monique Presley, legal analyst, crisis manager. Mark Thompson, host, Make It Plain. Mark, of course, was also there uh, in the hearing today. Uh, Mark, what, what was interesting, again, what, I, I don't know who, I don't even know who the hell these two are, okay? And so, here you got this dude, Burgess Owens, his whole, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as if, 400 years did not exist. Mm -hmm. As if you do not have undeniable data that shows redlining. See, see they keep talking about, obviously, uh, 150 years since slavery ended. Well, what took place in 150 years? What took place after Reconstruction? What still takes place when you talk about um, the, the uh, home foreclosure crisis and the subprime loans as well? 53% of black wealth wiped out because of homes. And so, what planet were they really on? Well, there's a re thank you for having me, by the way, Roland. Good to see everyone. Uh, there's a reason why you haven't heard of them, uh, because they were handpicked by the uh, minority members of the committee. And in some of the other interactions, you saw them refer to these individuals by first name. Now, obviously, they have obviously, they have relationships. If the four of us decided to be black conservatives and, and Uncle Toms like they are, we'd be big fish in a small pond. Mm -hmm. And and that's how you make a name for yourself. I even engaged the young man, uh, Coleman Hughes, because we want a panel together on another network. And because he keeps saying that um, there's we shouldn't get individual checks. And nobody was really making that argument at the hearing. In fact, mm -hmm. when in COBRA, the National African American Reparations Commission, they've been talking about some of the economic things that you alluded to. Maybe we'll get into that a bit later. And I said, Coleman, why don't you stop saying this thing about this individual check, but it's it's a red herring mm -hmm. uh, to inflame uh, the right wing and fearmonger whites that we're coming for their individual money, and that's the only role they play. Their well, argument it looks was and feels like a welfare check. That's right. That's the code right. language. Right. 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 And that's right. and that's also, <laughs> also in our panel is Michael Singleton, uh, who is a contributing host uh, to consider hey, it uh, on the Box Media on um, Facebook. Good so, man. So that, that, that's but that. But this is why I tell people all the time, you have to understand what the game is, Scott. Right. If they want to reduce the conversation to, you get a check, you get a check, who gets a check? Mm -hmm. when, it's, when one of the points Julian Malvo made, I'm going to play it in a second, is that, no, you must look at this thing from a system standpoint. And even when this guy Coleman says, nothing has been studied more, <laughs> no, no, no. There are, there are people who are utterly clueless about the real story. Mm -hmm. It's how it is being framed. That, to me, is a, is a fundamental issue. Well, but that's the whole debate, though. That, that's what it all comes down to, because the red herrings get you off the main view, the, the, the main issue. You know, I call it the tree of slavery, 
you started to base 400 years ago, you had slave for 200 years or, or however long, right? But the manifestations of it, the branches of slavery that lead us to 2019, the manifestations are still there. And so if you say that my ancestors are no longer here, you say that white ancestors of others are no longer here, so why should they pay? Well, why not? It still occurred, and the manifestations are still negatively affecting us. The Germans uh, uh, apologized to the Jews and paid reparations. America apologized to the Japanese who were put in internment camps and apologized. And yet for 200 years, we were 400 years, we were in slavery, and nobody wants to apologize to us. It seems like we're the largest minority, and so we got the greatest chance to overcome it, but we still struggle with the, our history of slavery. The thing for me, Monique, again, when, when, when you hear this dude talk about, okay, history, whatever, is not actually understanding uh, the link. When the, we, we did the story two weeks ago, three, three African-Americans lost $3.2 billion mm -hmm. in Chicago alone because of um, discrimination, housing discrimination. Anyone who saw uh, Skip Gates' documentary on Reconstruction, black folks lost a billion and a half dollars that was put into the Freedmen's Bank, stolen and squandered by white folks. There was never a bailout. Right. A billion five. Right. The equivalent of a billion five lost. And so those are things that folks in this country walking around on Capitol Hill have no idea about because that's the as history, not his story. Right, but that wouldn't even matter, Roland, because and I'm going to get through this on June 19th without crying. Mm. Okay. But I'm from Galveston, Texas, and so it mm. means something to me, right? Mm. Because I've been the places where it was announced, and my great grandfather was a slave when Gordon Granger showed up and said, "Today mm. you're free." Two years after, right? The freedom actually mm. happened. So my today Lord. means something to me. Oh my lord. But, but what it really means is there was a transfer of property that should have happened and there was a transfer of economy that should have happened right then. Because if so, then we could have afforded to lose a billion dollars a hundred, two hundred years later, and it wouldn't have mattered because wealth transfer starts originating in property. That's that's what this country about is about. You're talking about wealth. I'm talking about difference. wealth. Well, I'm not talking difference. about being rich. <laughs> exactly. I'm not talking about exactly. money bags, money bags. That's right. I'm talking about wealth transfer where when you die, there's something that goes to your children, whether you had a dime in the bank mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. They automatically have a leg up. And the history that that brother was talking about, yeah, we studied it. And we know it, but we don't apply it. Mm. Because right now in Galveston, Texas, I'm rich and I'm wealthy. Why? Mm -hmm. Because my grandfather, who graduated from Meharry, chose to be a postman instead of being a pharmacist so that he could own property. My grandmother worked in the home, but she was a nurse's assistant. My mother, who's still alive, was a teacher. My daddy worked at a manufacturing company instead of going to play basketball because they understood what it was about. Mm. So today... I'm sitting here and I have real wealth. I can't find no money. God knows I can't for these two. But see, but I don't need nothing, right? And there's a difference. There's a difference. So I agree with that gentleman. I don't know his name, the one they found. The don't don't nobody else know. Don't worry. Whatever. So, but he was right. It's been studied, Roland. 
He's well, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's, more studied than anything else, but he's wrong in that. I think what he was saying is because it's studied, we applied the lesson. Well, I dare say, and has it that's been fully, the problem. I dare say, it has been fully studied. Before I go to Sir Michael, this this was after a series of questions from one of the Democratic members of Congress, uh, and it was a brother who was a, a preacher. Uh, he he basically pulled Dr. Julian Malvo into the conversation. So I want y'all to hear this exchange. But, but you'd have to go really quickly. I had one question for Mr. Coates. So if you wanted to add something real quick. I'm running out of time. No, I'm the economist on the panel, so it's a little bit... No, I know that. It's a little frustrating that economic questions are being directed to non-economists. Um, well, I think I have some things that I'd like to be able to say about some of this. Um, but thank you, my brother, for giving me... For, for passing the mic. I really do appreciate it. Um, the questions about predatory lending really need to, that the, your sister congresswoman raised really need to be dealt with because it's not just that it's something that's happening well, if, if contemporaneously. If you're going to talk about, about predatory lending, could you also add, because what I was going to ask Kim, you could probably answer also, this whole history of the exclusion of blacks from some of the early programs like Social Security and the oh, yes, GI Bill and wage. others, because it all is about economic security. So if you could blend your, your answer, that would be great, because then I, okay, I would sure. use up my time and get my, both questions in. Sure. I mean, we can go back and look at the minimum wage, which exclude farm workers in the South, which were predominantly black people, excluded domestic workers right. who were black women. And so these folks were excluded not only from the minimum wage, but also from the social security system. And to very, so your comment about black women in nursing homes is very pointed, given all of that. I mean, we have to look at this. I, the hearts and minds questions, uh, I'm an economist, so I leave that to the reverend. But what I want, to, but, but my thing is, let's look at the economic underpinnings of the inequality that exists in this country, the wealth gap that exists in this country, and the differences that it makes. Sister Congresswoman, when you talked about predatory lending, a third of the people who had predatory loans qualified for regular loans, mm -hmm. a third of them. However, they did not get them because of the way that slavery, racism, basically segregated people. So I, while it's, it's lovely to sing Kumbaya, which I don't do very often, I think it's even better to talk about what's going on economically and the differences that exist because of the wealth gap. When a black woman, man, is arrested, absent wealth, they lay up in the jail for I don't know how many days because they don't have the home to mortgage to get the bail. Um, and yeah. cash bail is discriminatory. And so we, we can just go down the list and talk about the way, the very many ways that racism affects the quality of folks' lives. And with all due respect to these Kumbaya brothers over here who, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of my family too. I mean, we good black people too. I have a PhD, I have two MBAs in my family, but I'm not gonna give you my family history. But, but you know, but it's, it is irrelevant. It is irrelevant when you're dealing with structure. I want y'all, Congress people, to deal with issues of economic structure, how an economic structure has generated an inequality that makes it difficult for people to live their lives. When zip code determines what kind of school that you go to, when zip code determines what kind of food you can eat, these are the vestiges of enslavement that a lot of people don't want to deal with. Forgive my, um, you know, I'm kind of over the top, but I usually am. Those in the audience who know me know, you know, tick, tick, boom. But, um, but the fact is that I'm gratified, Sheila, Congresswoman Jackson Lee, for these hearings, but I'm also frustrated for the tone that some of this has taken because it takes us away from the economic underpinnings of what needs to go on here. Thank you. 
Sure, Michael. Um, the issue that, one, it's, 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 the discussion is critically important. And as far as I'm concerned, who the Republicans put up was a waste of time. There are conservative black economists. Mm -hmm. There are black conservatives who could talk about this issue, sure. even if they oppose it. That, you put up a dude who's on Fox News, a contributor who played football. <laughs> I, I can't listen to him. I mean, look, who, who, who brings and literally his entire presentation was, you know, work hard. Like my grandfather told me, my daddy told me, that's how you get ahead. It was like, that's it. Well, what's interesting about this. So for our Vox Media show, we actually have an episode next week coming out on reparations. And we centered it on Georgetown University, which is the first uh, U.S. institution that has attempted to sort of address repaying the descendants of slaves. Oh, it's academic. It's still the year. very first, correct, uh, in, in April. And that was a student decided the university hasn't made a decision yet. But in the research of doing this, we spoke with a Duke University economist. And what the economist was saying was, based upon uh, his calculations, there's about 30 million individuals that he estimated would be able to receive some form of a reparation, whatever that would look like. But going through the history, we discovered President Obama didn't support reparations. And, I, and I'm, go I'm going somewhere here. Joe Biden just announced he doesn't support reparation. And so as we continue to look through this, what we found was not only are there white Republicans who don't necessarily support this, there's also a lot of white Democrats in Congress who don't support this. So looking at it legislatively speaking, we sort of came to the conclusion that even trying to set up a committee to explore this would almost nearly be impossible. But here's, but here's on, on that point. And so... Look, somebody, somebody asked me long ago, support reparations. I'm like, no. Here's why I said it. Because I'm looking at the reality of legislatively. And my whole deal is, this is where they are. Unless you change who's there. Mm -hmm. That's the key. At the end of the day, I can make the economic and moral <clears throat> argument. Okay? Yeah. Why it makes sense. I can go through the history. I can lay out all the facts. It still gets to the question of, Will it pass? We're not even at the point, as far as I'm sure. concerned, of having a count-to-vote discussion. The problem here, Mark, is that we have folks who actually, with all the books and all the studies being done, don't want to contend with dealing with this very system and how it was actually created. Capitalism was created by slaves. Mm -hmm. Okay? America had no economy. Mm -hmm. Read Gerald Horn's book. Right. Uh, on the American Revolution. Uh, read all these books to understand uh, cotton, understand these things. The reality is you have this system. And it wasn't just for 243 years of slavery. It was a 92 years of Jim Crow, slavery by another name. And so when you start breaking all these things down, we have people in this country who don't want to even own up to the reality that white soldiers walked out of World War II with the GI Bill, right. in school they right. wanted to, right. bought homes in the suburbs, all kind of right. stuff like that, where black soldiers literally could not. That ain't slavery. That's 40s, 50s, right. 60s. Right. Fair Housing Act wasn't passed till 68. Right. So if the Fair Housing Act was passed, Fair Housing Act was passed in 68, April 68, and you know it takes really five to ten years for law to jail, if you will. We now in the 80s. Yeah, well, well, that's why this is a new and updated H.R. 40. It's H.R. 42.0, really, because the original Conyers bill was going to do a study of slavery. Mm -hmm. This is a study 
of uh, we, everyone stipulates slavery ex existed. But this is a study of what form reparations would take, not only for slavery, but for slavery's vestiges, which includes lynchings, Jim Crow, segregation, um, a lack of access to capital, being left out of Social Security, Homestead Act, GI Bill, Fair Housing Act, Voting Rights Act, and the current criminal justice system, which includes modern-day lynchings of police violence and mass incarceration. All of that is included in this, and what the... Um, the two Republican Uncle Toms were not willing to say well, out loud. No, no need to call him Uncle Toms. I don't need to believe in name calling. Just say we well, disagree that's, that's, with it. I, well, I that's just my thing. I, that's, I, I, don't, I, 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 do I don't believe in Uncle Toms, sellouts, coons, N-word. I, I can say, I can say, they black conservatives who are wrong. But I, 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 but I didn't say, call them coon. I, I know I that. I know that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hold on, Monique. Now, finish your point. Finish your point, Monique. Okay, so the point is, what they refuse to acknowledge is that there are vestiges of slavery that still exists. Every form of racism and oppression that we continue to deal with is a vestige of slavery. He mentioned the tree. Mm -hmm. The term we've always used is vestige. That's the same thing. And so that's what this bill would address and what form reparations would take for all of this inclusive. Monique. Right. And everything that he named is accurate. But everything that he named was related to a physical manifestation of slavery. And when Dr. Anita Phillips was on here, what she talked about is the way that slavery has embedded itself into our DNA code mm -hmm. as people of color and how we have suffered psychologically, how as we have suffered people. mentally, mm -hmm. how we have suffered socially as black people because of things that happen during slaving that, that now are a part of our psyche. It makes it less possible for us to succeed. Even if we had certain things that were a grant and a given to people who were not black. So for me, if somebody asks me if I support reparations, I don't know how I say I don't. Um, we have found our way to the moon, right? In this country, have well, we? What do you mean by that? What do you yeah. mean by that? Uh, We've gone to the moon. Travis we're smart. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. So, Go right ahead. So we can't figure out mm -hmm. how much you... You get, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not you get a car, you get a car, well, you get a you, car. I get it. Right. My point is, no, but here's the thing. It's one thing to say we don't have legislature to get it done. It's another thing to say we don't have a right president. We didn't have a black one. What do we need, a horse? It's one thing to say, come on now, that it's a hard thing. We in this country do hard things. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't matter if we got it wrong, Shermichael. It wouldn't, because if we got it wrong and he received something and you did and I did, now I don't know about your ancestors, I'm, I'm just saying, and you got something, <laughs> now listen, listen, okay. What, just because I'm light-skinned and I get I'm less? Saying a little sketchy. <laughs> yeah. You and I both, we are, we're not, we're not. That's 100%. racist. That's okay. racist. But, the, the but, 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 but my point is, hell, give me a thousand dollars and let's move forward right. and figure it out again. No, no, no. Because the argument, Roland, that people are trying to make is that we shouldn't get anything. Oh, no, no. I understand and that. That now. is garbage. And, and Scott, right. what, 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 Scott, That's Michael, not true. what, what, what bothers me again is when, and again, I, look, game recognize game. If you want to have this conversation and it stops at 1863. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't ignore what took place with the Great Compromise of 1876. Right. And it became the Great Compromise, actually the election of 1876 and the Great Compromise of 1877. I can't ignore 
where literally black folks, and Julian talked about it, I didn't play it, mm -hmm. the black folks she talked to who were run out of town, black people who literally right. left land they owned. That's right. Black people who were so oppressed by racism and bigotry, yeah. packed their stuff up and left Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and Arkansas, left land. I can't forget and went north. the black they didn't, they and went, went north. Put, all right, I can't forget the black folks who also had the land stolen by racists. Mm -hmm. The history, see, where the study comes up, where, where, I, where I think homeboy is wrong, is that if you actually study black folks since, 18, since actually 1619, what you will see is bootstraps pull down. Yeah. Pull bootstraps <laughs> up, right. pull back down. I can show you right. a line right. from 1619 to present day where black folks pull bootstraps up, right. pull back down, and the last big pull down was in 2007, 2008 with the home foreclosure crisis mm -hmm. when 53% of black wealth was wiped out right. because of that. That was black folks bootstrapping up. Mm -hmm. That's actually been our history. When we have done that, got pulled back down. That's a good point. Calculate all the bootstraps coming down, up, and down. Monetize it, right? That's a number, or a series of numbers, if you will. The other thing I want you to listen to us to understand is, I heard Mitch McConnell and others talk about, I don't know whether we could do this constitutionally or not. Are you kidding me? This is an allocation. Well, hell, it's just a gave, budget. Just gave twenty-eight billion. Wait a minute. Just gave twenty-eight billion to, to, to farmers right. who got screwed by the tariff. And hell, that wasn't even right. a vote. So, so don't item. be don't it's don't go for the okay. It's a budget yes. item. It yes, is a it budget is. item. Sir Michael, so. again, th that that for me is is why 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 I disagree with Homer when he said we study it mm -hmm. because no 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 we haven't really owned up to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm tell you this story before I, I want you to speak. Okay. I, I spoke at a, um, a black uh, construction um, conference. It was at National Harbor a few years ago. So I meet this sister, and her job is to ensure that you don't have front construction groups in North Carolina. So she tells me she meets this, so the largest construction company in North Carolina. She says, how did y'all get started? And the guy says, well, our daddy was in the Army. And when World War II ended, our daddy said that, you know what? I want to start my own construction company. So he went to the uh, went to the uh, bosses who were white. Hey, we got this surplus paving equipment and stuff. Can I just have some of it? Yep. Mm -hmm. And they said, Yeah. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Homeboy leaves the army with a government handout. Yep. Starts a construction company. Builds it up, and to this day. His sons and their sons and daughters now the beneficiaries right. of a government handout. You can't show me a black soldier who left with a shovel. Yeah. But his business was started with army surplus equipment and do, making millions of dollars. So not only did he have free equipment, he could apply for the contracts. So even if a black soldier was given free equipment, they couldn't even apply for the contracts. So when I hear McConnell and others talk about, oh, it was so long ago, no, I can show you black people who are living today. The vestiges. Who could right. not even bid for a contract if they had equipment, could apply for the jobs, couldn't buy a home in a certain place. So as a result, black person over here bought a house in the neighborhood, 
house may have been $12,000. The white person's house was $35,000. They couldn't even sell the house for $12,000 when they tried to sell it. They sold it for like $12,100. So they made $100 on the house. Yet the person over here resold the house for forty grand. They got five grand from it. Guess what? That ain't slavery. That's still the American story. That, to me, is why you have to have a real conversation that brings it up to present day of how black folks have been economically denied in this nation. Well, what's interesting about this is not only was the nation's wealth built off of free slave labor, you talk about many American businesses, Wells Fargo, for example, Brooks Brothers, for example, you talk about many, all the insurance companies. You talk about the Ivy League universities, the Georgetowns, the Harvards, the, the Yales, all essentially off of the selling of slaves in order to stay open. Correct. Oh so I think this is a very nuanced situation that I don't think a lot of politicians, just to be honest, and Frank, aren't really interested in learning more about, which is why I do agree that we also need to have some type of of a committee to explore this further because I think there's this sort of mis, I guess, understanding that, oh, it's just going to be free checks, free checks, we don't want to do that. Well, this is a far more complex uh, issue that we need to address. And I don't know any black person who's saying, I want anything free. I think what people are saying is we want to make sure that we have the same playing field as everyone else. And that currently does not exist because of systemic racism that can be traced back to slavery. Which is, the, which is the same. Which no, is, what? But we don't need another study. It's a waste of time. The McConnells of the world, and I, and I, and I respect Schmeichel's position on this, but sure, they'll say they don't get it. They'll say they don't get it, and we'll be three more administrations past getting it with a study about how we can figure out just how much we are really owed. No. So how do you, Start out of how do you put a metric you, on it then? Tell me your the metric thing. on everything that Roland just said. Why, and this is why. Maybe you can't. You go back to what we all agree on. Slavery bad, right? Yeah. Is anybody disagreeing? Okay, no. Well, some folks. So, well, hello. <laughs> some no, no, say no, we were, we're glad not, to be there. <laughs> you know what? And even still, mm -hmm. because, Scott, you and I, as lawyers, we know that if you keep people against their will and you force them to do labor for however much time, there is a very easy system, a calculus, for what they are owed for that. Mm -hmm. And then we, from there, figure out, oh, okay, you kept them from that, and then when they were free, they didn't get property. Oh, okay, and they didn't get property, and when they got so money, say, okay, they couldn't this. get so a bank loan. No, no, no. Would you, well, we have to start. Scott, Michael, Scott. Go, go. We have to start. Go, go, go. Right. Well, would you take 40 acres and a mule? Listen, which is another broken promise okay. America made to people of color, Here or black is, people rather. Here's what I am would saying. Would you take it today? Hell yes, give me my 40 acres right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I'm finished, mm -hmm. because I still, we have a constitution, right? Mm -hmm. So I can still sue, I can still ask for more, I can still re-legislate, I can still Michael, elect people Michael, like you. Mm -hmm. Give me my 40 acres and then let's talk. Mm -hmm. Give me my one mule from my, from my land and then let's have a conversation, because well, what I I can do with 40 acres right now. Right. Go ahead. 40 acres where? I, I, New York? I, I, I just 40 wonder. acres in New York City. You're Thank going you. off today. Look, I, I just love yes. not Juneteenth. to, not to go be ahead. stuck in politics or, or the legislative process, but that's what I love. And I, I'm just trying to figure out, even if we are able to assign some type of a numerical value to this, how do you get it through Congress? 
Even if we ignore the McConnells, let's say we don't set up a committee, let's say it's a trillion dollars, we all Change agree Congress. to it. How do you get it? You have here, to here's, here, here, here's, and, and to that point, and that's why when somebody asked me this about 10 years ago, I was like, look, if you want to spend, somebody said, Roland, why aren't you spending more time in reparations? I was like, I said, I'm looking at votes. I said, I'm, I'm practically not counting votes. Right. I said, that's where I stand. I said, there are people who support it. I said, who are fighting for it. I said, you know what? I'll put them on the air. I, was, I said, and, and have them tell the story. I said, but I look at finite time. The reality is this. Why, why, why the study? Why the breakdown? Everything that you said? Why does it all matter? Because like anything else that is passed in this country, you have to create mm -hmm. resonance. You have to create momentum to where you, where you frame that. Look. How many people literally said, ain't no way in hell we're going to be able to get the right to vote? Right. After Kennedy gets killed, look, everybody forgets the original civil rights bill that Dr. King and others supported had all of it in one. LBJ was like, I can't get all of it in one. The, the original civil rights, first of all, that was a 1960 Civil Rights Act. After Kennedy dies, LBJ goes, Okay, I can't get all that in one. Mm -hmm. It was broken up into three pieces. 64, Civil Rights Act, which was public accommodations. 65 was voting. 68 was housing. He said, I'm going to get it, but I can't get all of it at once. You have to create that, which is where voting comes in. So when I hear people say, unless this happens, I ain't voting, if you don't vote, it's not going to happen. No. You, no you, because yeah. here's the deal. You have to, you have to sure. elect a Congress yeah. that is going to be amenable to your argument. Okay. To your argument, but, your argument. But health care is a much more timely and relevant example to me. So we need... And that took 50 years. Oh, no, no, no. But okay. Actually, actually, I'm sorry. But we're no, right actually, here. Actually, 150 but years. But we're here. But we're here. No, but I'm so saying, what I'm saying how is long it took for everybody to who has. And, I'm, and mm -hmm. I, I, I support no candidate. But what I will say is right now, every front runner but Biden says yes to reparations. So we need a reparations Democratic candidate because Trump is a non-starter. So we need a Democratic candidate. And then we need a Democratic House because that's how we got health care, right? So and we need whatever version of a bill we can get where something is well, actually, passed. Actually, actually, you had what Democratic we president, Hill House, and Senate. And, that's how guys and, 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 and 2020 is viable for no, no, that no, it, it certainly is, if we're not, about our business. I, I'm, I'm not certain, though. I don't comment on this. Even if realistically we were able to get a magic wand and grant what you're asking. No magic wand, just votes. Or, or votes. I'm just not even convinced that if Democrats control the House or the Senate that you would have enough votes because you have to look at some of the districts that some of those members even represent. But I'm not but, convinced but, some of those white members But here's the deal, Mark. Vote but, but, hold on. First of all, I agree. Just being hold on. No, no, no. First of all, I agree with your point. But here's the piece. You don't need 435 or 100, Mark. Thank God. What you need yeah. is you need 218 in the House. Well, that's true. We'll we never need a simple majority yeah. or 60 yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. And yeah. then what you actually, and I dare say, you actually need more, more than that because assume it's going to be a veto, even if it's a Democratic president. Right. So, so the bottom line, but, but again, to the people who are watching, Mark, I want you to speak to this, and this is the final comment. Okay. If you got 60 people who sign on now, right. and the next session you got 90, you picked up 30. That's right. Mm -hmm. The problem I have is with folks who don't understand that 
look, it's, it's not, it is not going to happen in a year. But if you decide to not vote, you have absolute we'll guarantee That's right. yeah. it will it's never happen. Or longer. You know, there were yeah. some people there today that have been propagandized that way. But I was watching people today. And afterwards, I talked to some of those people, and they couldn't come up with an argument against anything that was said. Yeah. So just like all of our struggles, they, they've taken time. We didn't know we'd be here today right. on this Juneteenth, 2019. And I'm very moved by the story you told, by the way, about your great-grandfather. We didn't know right now that we'd be having a hearing on reparations mm -hmm. right now. We didn't know all this enthusiasm would come forward. We can't time it, but our generation has to continue to struggle. And sometime, if not in our lifetime, the next generation will see this to fruition. But you're absolutely right. Um, I think this can get done. It won't be tomorrow. And it is wrong to say to people, if it's not uh, resolved by 2020, they're not gonna vote. It is an ongoing yeah. struggle. struggle. And on yeah. this Juneteenth, I'll simply close by saying in the words of Frederick Douglass, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Come on so here. we can't stop. And for the folks who understand voting, you could talk about 15th Amendment all day. Mm -hmm. But then you had the 65 Civil, uh, the 65 uh, Voting Rights Act, okay? And you're that's right. dealing with that. That's so right. that's our history. All right, folks, also happening today on Capitol Hill, didn't get as much attention. Uh, the Poor People's Campaign has uh, talked before the House Budget Committee laying out their moral agenda on what they want House Democrats to do when it comes to confronting the issues of the poor. Reverend William, Reverend William Barber spoke before the House. The growing gap between the rich and the poor in this country is a direct result of policy decisions, not the immorality and the lack of personal um, work of poor people. Policy decisions made here in Washington and in our state capitals, but those decisions have been supported by well-funded myths. Corporate interests have sent their representatives here to preach personal responsibility and the danger of government intervention. But the truth is we must take a collective responsibility for the inequality, the unjust laws and systems created. God did not make us poor. Greed and abuse and power make us poor. In this hearing room, you are seated here as members of Congress on the left and on the right demanding on, on party affiliation. Our campaign agenda is neither left nor right. It aims to challenge both sides of the aisle. It aims to reach toward the moral high ground. The agenda is rooted in the religious values of the prophet of Isaiah that every legislator ought to hear again since you put your hands on the Bible to swear yourselves into office. Woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights and make women and children their prey. You should hear what Jesus said, not to churches and personal charity, but to nations. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was a stranger, an immigrant, did you receive me? When I was sick, did you care for me? Because every nation will be judged by God for how it treats the least of these. Our religious values are call us and our constitutional values, which call us to, to, to the issue of justice, establishing justice, to put the marginalized and the poor at the, at the center of our public policy. We began three years ago. We've been all over this country, from Kansas to Arizona to Eastern Kentucky to Eastern North Carolina. We've met with Republicans and Democrats and blacks and whites and gay and straight, and all of them are saying the 140 million, we first must get the numbers right, it's 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country. 
140 million, 39 million children, 21 million seniors, 65.8 million men, 74 million women, 26 million black people, 38 million Latinx people, 8 million Asian people, 2.4 native indigenous people, and 66 million white people. And they are not poor because they are lazy or because they don't engage in personal responsibility. They are poor because of the systemic realities that connect systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, the war economy, and the false moral narratives that suggest that somehow you can ignore poverty, ignore poverty. We must count 43.5% of our nation. No nation can survive when 43.5% of its people are poor and low wealth, and that's not at the center of our public discussions. 62 million people who work every day for less than a living wage. 37 million people without health care, even with the Affordable Care Act. And I'm from the South, where, where one-third of all the poor people live, and it's almost even black and white. Fifty-some million poor people and low-income people, and 13 million people uninsured. Poverty is a moral crisis. The federal government, state governments, we do not need more tax cuts for the rich. We do not need more missiles. We need to hear and see the voices and faces of the poverty. We must end this systemic policy violence against poor and low wealth people. This is the moral mandate for our nation at this moment. The work of reconstructing America is not done, and we must do it together, and nothing less than the promise of our democracy is at stake. To not deal with poverty is constitutionally inconsistent, it is economically insane, and it is morally, morally, morally wrong. Mr. Michael, we mentioned earlier, we talked about the $28 billion that was, in, that was granted to For farmers impacted by tariffs. Yet, it, yet if, if a president said, you know what, the people who are hurting right now who are poor, let's grant $28 billion. Folks will be up in arms, fiscal conservatives will be yelling and screaming. It's amazing how we are so quick to fund things in this country. But then if you talk about two or three or four billion for the poor folks to lose their mind. Well, I mean, uh, politicians, their number one concern is, is self-preservation. And so the reason those farmers was able to get that bail out is because Donald Trump recognizes he depends on their votes in order to be reelected. Uh, Republicans in the Senate realize that they depend upon those voters to maintain their majority in the Senate. Look, I, I think there's something uh, Reverend Barber said was very interesting. It, it does become very difficult for a country to have an ever-growing, increasing majority of the population being in poverty. China's actually attempting to address this themselves because they have done some studies to realize that this is going to be problematic as we continue to try to become a superpower. So at some point, with the world becoming more globalized, we're going away from cheaper labor because of technology and automation. You're going to have even more people falling into that category of being in poverty. country, no, no, we are. We are. You have but, half no, and we half are. not. No, you do. And that's but, what hold on, hold on. Finish. No, 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 finish. I agree with that. 
But in understanding that, you also want to make sure that you're training and providing your people with the proper skill set so that they can survive in this ever-changing ecosystem. And if you're not doing that, then you're only going to continue to increase the number of people that live in poverty. Scott? Yeah, but what about the social welfare system that we do have? I mean, there are no pure capitalistic societies, because if we were purely capitalistic, then you'd have a, a, a running poor population, a wealthy, and that's why we talk a lot about the middle class. Uh, Russia is not pure socialism. It's a combination of both, and so are several other countries. And so I think the danger that Reverend Barber is touching on that people are going to have to recognize is that, sure, you can have a capitalistic society. That's why they won't give poor people money, because pull yourself up by the bootstraps, do X, Y, and Z, and either you make a lot of money or you don't. It's inherent in the system that you have some poor people and working poor people. And so the problem is, if you get more poor people, a growing poor people population, then the haves and the have-nots, they have a lot of have-nots eventually, you know. They overthrow the government, if you will, or jack up the system. No, no, no. But no but actually, you said, but the problem, Monique, you said the problem. No, what he's actually doing is actually saying uh, to the poor people. It's more y'all, and it's let's overthrow this thing. What he is, what he is saying is okay. that the reality is, yeah. the, it is a widening gap yeah. in the last twenty years, where the rich have gotten richer and richer and richer, and they don't give a damn about those who are below them. That what too. he is saying is, let's activate. Uh, these poor right. folks to right. become uh, take your numbers and then go to the polls and vote your interest. That's what he's doing. And then uh -huh. what? Hold on. And then what? And, Hold on. And, and while you weren't here last week, Scott told me with a straight face mm -hmm. that he's a liberal. My point is this. Um, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> People who are working everybody, and are, are successful can be liberal. Who is watching this show? Don't label me. Heard? Don't uh, label. I don't have to label I'm you. Right. You labeled you. I do. Now my I label point is myself. this. My, my point. Oh, oh. oh. Yeah. You went there. Listen. The only difficulty that I have, and it's not even a difficulty, it's a question mark where the moral majority is concerned. There are more white people who are poor in this country than black people. There are more white people, period, but there are more white people who are poor than people of color. So when we talk about galvanizing, there has to be a way that they understand, hey, that reparations argument that y'all are fighting for is the same argument the farmers are fighting for, is the same argument that the steel workers, because it ain't going to be no more, are fighting for, is the same argument that the people in West Virginia are fighting for, for the coal mines. It's the same argument, because it is an anti-poverty argument in one of, if not still the wealthiest nation in the world. And Scott, I'm fine okay. with you. I'm yeah. fine. You're, okay, so we're capitalists, etc., so on. But I'm saying it comes down to a point of, are we right or are we wrong? Does it matter that people send children to school every day? And even in a county like Montgomery County where I live, the only reason some children are eating during this summer is because Montgomery County found money in its budget. Thank God for mm -hmm. Isaiah Luggett. Luggett on his way out, he said, we're going to do these food trucks. He created a line item, hello everybody, so that children could eat every day this summer. Okay. They're doing the same thing in PG County. Yeah. Now, how can it be? in a county where 70% of the people 
own homes. Their children still can't eat if it wasn't for food trucks that were lining up outside of summer school. Whether you need summer school or not, that's how kids are getting breakfast when their parents mm -hmm. go to work. Why don't you I'm ask, just the, saying, ask the elected officials who allocate public funds? Listen, because I'm not, we don't I'm have not a priority. Asking them. I'm not asking they don't make it a priority. I, no, no, I'm not asking where there's an answer. What mm -hmm. I said is Isaiah Leggett created a line item, so he is a responsible public official. Some of this stuff. All y'all conservatives, are y'all on here right now? Here's what the conservatives want. They want states' rights. Mm -hmm. They want low federal government intervention. Mm -hmm. So if you're still a conservative out there, Trumplicans, Republicans, whoever you are, these are state and county officials mm -hmm. who found a way to make sure our children are not but, hungry. It's not about it's not about bootstraps with, right now. Well, I agree, but the when problem with white America is they believe the problem with white America, poor white America is they believe the Republican myth. Those poor white Americans well, ought to be standing Scott, right there. Scott, well, this is actually, well, actually, well, actually, well, actually. You are black, allegedly, and you yeah. right here on this show, <laughs> and you, you just said Scott, to what me, you, doing to you, bro? you just said, you just said, <laughs> we, the, much light, think we I'm the lightest people, we the lightest people on here tonight, mm -hmm. we gotta go together. <laughs> now, what I'm saying is, you just said capitalism, and I'm and I'm fine with it. Lord knows, I want well, you to live in a capitalist system too, and you want to make money. So what is your argument, okay. though? What oh, is your point? Lord, I'm about to invoke Elizabeth Warren. Okay. What My is point, point is, there are candidates Greed is good. who are Money is good. And if right? I take uh, You can't penny. be a socialist without being a capitalist first. If I take a penny mm -hmm. on every one of your $500 million, mm -hmm. I can feed everybody okay. in Texas. Okay, so if you have $50 million right oh. now, would you invest it in yourself you and your family? Dime. You wouldn't give me a dime. You a dime. How many poor people would you support? How many poor people out there would you support? So you're on your soapbox and fighting and arguing about capitalism and the God lack of equity. Help me. I want people how much to be would okay. you give? Would you? So if you're 50 million, how much would you give to poor here's, strangers? Here's why. Here's now, why my question. it matters for how Dr. Julian. I'm answering you. How much of your 50 million would you people, give to poor people? I think that people like Dr. Julian. If money's good and greed is good. I think good. that people like Dr. Julian, who's an economist, okay. can answer it. I think we I elect officials answer. to figure it out. Oh, what are you going to well, do with your listen, 50 million? Okay. If you had 50 million, would you give 49 plus million to poor people? Most people would not. Most people would not. But you got to think. Think about that, though, but because the, the Steve the of the world, sure. the Winfrey's of the world, the Perry's of the world, mm -hmm. they the, even God help him, the Bezos's of the world, and I pray he get through this divorce. They've all managed <laughs> to give, right? Mm -hmm, so I'm saying at least 10 percent of it. So if you have fifty million dollars, most you have fifty million dollars, you get five million of poor people. I you said sound like a capitalist. At least my ten percent would go you to sound the church. Like a and then I had okay, a so so what okay. do you think? Then so what's your solution then to the growing number people. of people in poverty? The solution to the growing number of people in poverty is reparations, it's free education, it's free health care, because that's where we lose the majority of our money. We already money. have free education. You mean at right. the higher, like, college? No, actually, we don't have free education. We don't have free education. We don't have free education. No, no. We don't have No, we don't have Hold on, hold on, hold on. Take care. You might call it free. free. That's how they hold get free. Hold on, hold on. You might call it free, but it ain't high-quality education. Mark, 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 the thing, Mark, one second. If you go through an education system and not be able to Read, then you have been failed. Mark, what Barbara is doing actually to address Scott's point, 
They have gone to Idaho and Kansas yeah, and the hills of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They are going in front of broke-ass white folks and saying, guess what? Your ass broke. Yeah, right. And, and, <laughs> and there's more of you broke. Well, so go ahead, go ahead. But so, and, and Scott and I had this conversation uh, when we were waiting to come on. What Rem Barber's doing by picking what Dr. King left off is extremely revolutionary. It's actually what got Dr. King killed. Yeah. Um, he became an even greater threat when he wasn't just organizing black folk in the South. When he was going around the country organizing poor white folk with the Poor People's Campaign, mm -hmm. he made the case, and I remind everyone, the most powerful and important and information, informative and impactful speech he gave yeah. was on the steps of the Montgomery <clears throat> State Capitol uh, after the March from Summer to Montgomery, where he talked about the division between poor whites and poor African Americans and how this country decided to make it that way so we wouldn't come together in unity. Right. And he talked about Jim Crow being the psychological bird that feeds the bloated bellies of starving white folks and let, lets them know that I may be poor and broke, but at least I'm better off than a black man. Mm -hmm. So what Dr. Barber is doing is challenging that and showing that we can all get together and control this. You made a good point, Sir Michael. So you pay off farmers because for whatever reason, which is crazy, they always vote against their interests. They're predisposed. We want to stay with Trump. We want a reason to stay with you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else would say... Dude, you jamming us. My farm is going under because of you. And many are. And you? your tariffs. So, right. So you yeah. pay them off. But see, these white folks with Barber, they ain't about that. They're open-minded. They're looking. They're thinking. They're analyzing. And I think that, you know, what Reverend Barber is able to do, see, this can still be tied to reparations. See, when they say to us, we talked about this in the, in the mm -hmm. conference room. When they say to us, well, y'all got welfare. And food stamps and affirmative action. As if white folks. As if the majority of those things don't go to white folks. <laughs> the majority of the money. But, but here's the other contradiction. Right. It's always odd to me how you can say we on welfare and food stamps and all benefiting from affirmative action. Those two don't go there. <laughs> if I'm benefiting from affirmative action, I don't need right. welfare and food stamps. Right. But, but they say to white folks, Oh, we've given you all. We're going to give you, too. Uh -huh. You got the GI Bill. You got all that stuff. <laughs> right. so, so they say the same thing to them, but because of the perception, right. the face of poverty and the face of crime is black. We have Ronald Reagan to thank for that. He did right. black well, welfare queen. That is, yeah. Right, and so that's the image, right? And right. so some white folks, as you said, don't even know that they poor and broke and Reverend Barber's waking them up and they loving him for it. Go ahead, here's Mr. The thing. Michael. I think this is unsustainable, to be honest. And if you look at what every, what the poverty, the growing levels of poverty right. in the country, I mean, you look at every single economist, and this is even conservative economists will admit this. The reality is the United States is really almost at the point where we're no longer going to be the nation's superpower, the world's superpower. Right. That's the reality. Right. Um, and I think if you study history, remember the French Revolution, it was poor people mm -hmm. who revolted because the numbers grew so much, they said, we have enough of this. Even though there were divisions, religious divisions, there were some ethnic divisions, they finally came together. And I, and I really think Reverend Barber is on to something that history has already revealed to us before right. that we're not paying attention to. People are really starting to get sick and tired of the divisions between wealthy people and the poor. Even Elizabeth Warren has gone to West Virginia, places that Trump did well, and she's talking to these people, and they're saying, well, wait a minute, this lady has a point here. Yeah. We are all poor. We haven't benefited from any of this. <laughs> and right. a That's a recipe for a disaster and, if we don't do something about it. And, 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 and folks, I, I want to I, I read this so okay. you can understand why this moral movement matters. Uh, when Dr. King gave the speech after the Selma to Montgomery march, Come on. Uh, this is what he said on the steps of 
the Capitol. He said toward the end of, Re of the Reconstruction era, something very significant happened. That is what was known as the populist movement. That's right. The leaders of this movement began awakening the poor white masses and the former Negro slaves to the fact that they were being fleeced by the emerging bourbon interests. Not only that, but they began uniting the Negro and white masses into a voting bloc that threatened to drive the bourbon interests from the command post of political power in the South. To meet this threat, the Southern aristocracy began immediately to engineer this development of a segregated society. I want you to follow me through here because this is very important to see the roots of racism and the denial of the right to vote. I need y'all to listen to this part. Through their control of mass media, uh -huh. they revised the doctrine of white supremacy. They saturated the thinking of the poor white masses with it, thus clouding their minds to the real issue involved in the populist movement. They then directed the placement on the books of the South of laws that made it a crime for Negroes and whites to come together as equals at any level. Mm -hmm. And that did it. That crippled and eventually destroyed the populist movement of the 19th century. He went on to lay out, again, how they utilized mass media how they used mass media to drive home this whole idea uh, of, um, of, 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 of white supremacy and keeping folks away. Now, let me unpack that. That's why when you watch mainstream media, you got to be very clear in terms of what you're watching than what you're hearing. Why am I so critical of a lot of black websites out there? Because they ain't doing no original damn reporting. What they're doing is they're Absolutely. aggregating content. Yeah. Well, they literally are rewriting stories done by white reporters, putting their name on the top and never making a phone call. So you are reading a whole bunch of these black websites thinking you're reading the black perspective when you read really reading the white perspective just somehow rewritten by somebody who was black. I, if I really want to go there, y'all would be shocked to how know how many of these so-called black websites out there actually have white bosses. Uh-oh. You're generous and rude. <laughs> now, now, allow me again to further break this down. <laughs> you need to understand power and how power wants to freeze out other folks from opportunities, which leads me to my criticism of the South Carolina Democratic Party. Beginning tomorrow, they're going to have their state convention. The leaders of the South Carolina Democratic Party have made a decision that is beyond shameful. Democrats have talked about Donald Trump being anti-free press. They talked about how he has condemned the media. Yet the South Carolina Democratic Party cut a deal where they are only allowing MSNBC to broadcast live from their convention. Now let me explain this. C-SPAN. Okay, totally nonpartisan. Fox News, CNN, all are frozen out of broadcasting anything in the building live, not just on the podium, but also in the back of the room. Now, here's the deal. I ain't criticizing MSNBC because according to various reports, it's a free deal. 
South Carolina Democrats are saying, well, we're going to guarantee all of our uh, candidates get FaceTime. So they'll speak on stage, they'll carry it, and then they say they'll go to the back of the room. They're going to get interviewed by Reverend Al Sharpton and Joanne Reed. Okay, that's fine. But here's the problem why I, why I got a problem. You are watching a black-owned show. You are watching a show that is about black people. Give me a wide shot. You are seeing four black commentators. You could turn on any cable channel right now, and I, you might have to flip to four to find a total of four black people. No but you ain't going to find four on at one time. No. Matter of fact, hell, you ain't going to find a black whole song right now uh, because... Period. Right. Cause, <laughs> just saying. Right now? No, nah, one don't exist right now. No one. Can't find one. Why is the decision by the South Carolina Democratic Party wrong? Because this, this decision freezes out folk like me yeah. and this show... And then it's just a bad precedent. What y'all don't realize is the Supreme Court has already ruled that political parties are private. Even though historically they have been open conventions, they're private. Their primaries are private. They can choose whatever they, their own rules. Fox and C-SPAN and CNN have lodged a complaint <laughs> saying this is wrong. But y'all might be saying, well, what's the big deal? Well, you plan to go anyway. Here's the deal. On Tuesday, we live stream from uh, the, uh, the hotel here of the black leadership meeting when it came, comes to the United States Census. We live streamed from Reverend Barber's events as well. We were in Miami live streaming from American Black Film Festival. What happens when powerful interests start saying nobody else can do any live stuff except if you are MSNBC or Fox News or CNN? Yep. This is why net neutrality was a major deal. The South Carolina Democratic Party should be ashamed of itself for locking out media. They should say any media outlet should be allowed to come in and to live stream from their state convention. No media outlet, whether they are conservative or liberal or nonpartisan, should be frozen out. I'm telling y'all, as an African-American media owner, be very, very scared because what then happens when they say, ah, oh, y'all not big enough? Y'all remember my commentary on the red carpet when all the stars, when the white publicists would shoo the black stars away from talking to all yeah. the little black yeah, media right, outlets? Right. But see, them same stars, when the white folks weren't calling them, it was those black media outlets who were calling them. Right. And if y'all really want me to start doing a roll call, I can show y'all direct messages and text messages of black politicians who wasn't getting no love from CNN, from MSNBC, from Fox News, and were saying, hey, can we please come on your show. Mm. Oh, I can I can run the whole thing down. What South Carolina doing is wrong. And I dare say every black politician who is a Democrat in South Carolina, from Congress to the state house to local, should be saying to the party, what you're doing is wrong. Because by doing this, you're setting a precedent. And you could be very well freezing out the next operation, the next black owner, somebody who is trying to inform our people by saying it's only them. Now, see, I didn't say only national media. No, Y'all don't understand. No other media outlet That's terrible. can stream and do anything live. In fact, it's a three-hour embargo. That's terrible. So that means if you're the black newspaper in South Carolina and you want it, 
to live stream an interview with one of the politicians, you can't do it. You can't do it in the building. You got to go outside. They say, oh, y'all can report on anything outside the building. Mm -hmm. You cannot do anything in the building. This is wrong. It's a bad decision. They have time to reverse it. And the deal is, MSNBC ain't even paying for the exclusivity. Mm -hmm. They gave it to them for free. That makes no sense. As a black media owner, this, folks, should not be allowed to stand because I'm telling y'all, if they do this, somebody else is going to try it. And somebody else is going to try it. And somebody else is going to try it. And then what happens when we say, what about us? What happens when one of these networks is holding one of their debates and they say, oh, I'm sorry, Rollmart Unfiltered, y'all can't stream from here because we control this whole deal. What if they say one of these presidential forums, no, 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 y'all can't do anything from here because we control this whole deal. This, to me, is wrong. And it is unfair. And black folks have to be very, very careful because this ain't got nothing to do with CNN or Fox News or C-SPAN. But I'm telling y'all, we created this platform to serve black interest. We created this platform to not only have this live show, but we also live stream events. We've live streamed rallies. Yeah. We've live streamed speeches. Sure. We've live streamed conferences. We are doing what no other black website is doing. In fact, what we're doing here, BET ain't doing. TV One's not doing. Aspire's not doing. Revolt's not doing. Own's not doing. Bounce is not doing. None of these black networks out here, none of them are doing what we're doing. Do not be silent. You should be telling the South Carolina Democratic Party Go to their Twitter handle, SCDP, and say, overturn this decision because this is not how a free press is supposed to operate. They are a political party, and every member of the media should have access to the South Carolina Democratic Party. It is wrong. And I dare say to every one of you Democrats who is going to speak there, you should stand up and say, open the doors. Allow every member of the media in. And I'm talking to you, Vice President Biden, and Senator Sanders, and Senator Harris, and Senator Warren, and Mayor Buttigieg, and Eric Swalwell, and all of your candidates, every single one, you should say to South Carolina, this is wrong, and Democrats do not believe in freezing anybody out. If you say nothing today, it might be you frozen out tomorrow. Folks, that's it, that's it for us today. I want to thank Mark. Monique, Scott, Mr. Michael, being on today's show. Uh, folks, be sure to support Roller Martin Unfiltered by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Uh, if we don't fund our own freedom, nobody else will. I can guarantee you Chris Matthews, uh, as well as Aaron Barnett, Burnett and whoever the hell is over there on Fox News, I guarantee you they did not have the conversation we had today. Uh, first of all, uh, the, uh, the Ghana ambassador to the United States, they certainly weren't talking about the reparation discussion that we had right. or Poor People's Campaign. Uh, and so, please, we want you to uh, support us in what we do. Again, Cash App, PayPal, uh, as well as Square, all of them are on the website. You can give every month. You can give one time. Uh, we want to have a 1,000 uh, new donors by the end of this month. And so we certainly appreciate all that you have done. And uh, I forgot, somebody gave us... 50 bucks on uh, YouTube is not pulling up. And so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and so we'll try to get the name there. And so I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. All right, folks, I got to go. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll talk about two new black mayors this week, one in Dallas, one in Kansas City. Holla! This show. Uh, you know, I was told the same thing Monday. At Bar
Hey fam, go check out Roller Bart Unfiltered, the blackest show on all of digital cable and broadcast. Check out our audio podcast. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Bart Unfiltered. Press play. You want to support Roller Bart Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. As Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.